stood and on a rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and Trophies at last I lay down. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> I hope everyone had a good week. Did you have a good week? Finally starting to warm up a little bit. That's felt really nice, hasn't it? Well, we're going to ask you guys to all come in, get a seat, and we're going to start worship together this morning. We're excited that you're all here. I miss seeing everybody. It's so nice to look out and see everybody's faces. So let's stand up together. And uh, if you guys would just stand up and turn to the people around you and just greet them, welcome them here this morning, tell them that you're glad that they're here.
Good morning. You may be seated. Our church family, we're going to enjoy communion together, the Lord's Supper. It's a holy and sacred time that we examine ourselves, we examine our lives, we examine our attitudes, our behavior in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm going to invite four of our incredible small group leaders who are going to help with communion today to come forward, to take the elements, one to stand over here and one to stand over here, two to stand here, two to stand there. First Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23, says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to serve our servers first this morning. Then I'm going to invite you as a congregation, as a church family, to come forward and to take the bread, dip it in the cup, and eat in remembrance of what the Lord Jesus has done for you. There's gluten-free elements in this center as well.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for that incredible death on the cross that provided for us our salvation. And Father, during this time of Holy Communion, help us, Father, to examine ourselves. Help us, Father, to see if there's any wicked way in us, anything that is not pleasing in our lives. Father, we come to you. We confess that to you. And we say, Lord, we are sorry. Forgive us for our sins and cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness. We want to be a people that is pleasing to you. And Father, we come to you. We are grateful. We are a grateful church family to you because of what you are doing in us, in our church, in our world, in our community. We thank you. And Father, we just ask that you continue to be at work in our hearts and in our lives. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place this morning. I sense Him. And it's a beautiful, beautiful sight. I've never gotten over how beautiful it is for the church to come to the Lord's table. Perhaps a little practice for the uh, wedding supper of the Lamb. What do you think? Hey, uh, before we dismiss our kids to their special time up the hall, I want them all to come up here with me. Come up here with me. Every once in a while, it's great to see all of our kids. And I've got a deal to offer the oldest one of them today. So we're just going to stand up here, like over to this side, so we don't get behind that big old podium. I'm wondering, wow, look at this group. Let me see how many boys we got. Three boys and five girls, six girls. Girls are always outnumbering the boys. Do you notice that? You guys hang in there, though. Okay, so is anybody here 12? Raise your hand. No? You're 12? Is she 12? <laughs> is anybody here 11? No 11-year-olds? Is anyone here 10? Oh, I might have guessed he was the oldest, right? Okay, <laughs> Seth, I've got a deal for you, and you can take it or not. Okay, you ready? Here's the deal. I've got 10... Dollar bills. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars. I will give you these ten dollar bills to keep if you give me one back. Would you take that deal? I'd take that deal too. So here's your ten. Now, what do you need to do? Give me one back. Would the rest of you guys taking that deal? I mean, that's a pretty good deal. You know what? Nobody but I will has ever challenged to put you to the test. But don't tell anybody, but they might think I'm the test. Hey, we love you guys, and we are so grateful to Tracy Summerall and Sharon Weesey and all the good folks that teach and provide such a good ministry for our kids. And for those nursery and preschool workers that are already down there holding kids and loving on them, we love you guys too. 
And uh, we planned that time of communion at the very beginning of the service that, that you could be a part of that. And there's nothing more special in the world that we do than remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But it didn't end there. What happened a couple of days later? What happened, AJ? He rose up. He's alive. And he's with you guys today and he loves you. So uh, follow him. Love him back all the days of your life. Okay? Okay. Where's the flag waving? Follow that flag. And we'll see you after service. That was good. Hey, I'm going to invite Cheryl Birch to come forward. Uh, all the time around here, I'm hearing, you know, Pastor, we would like to hear more testimonies. And I couldn't agree more. And so uh, Cheryl's going to offer a testimony before we share a few announcements and then get back to singing and praising our God. So Cheryl, you've got the floor. As some of you know, I was raised in a godly Christian family. My mom, uh, she was a homemaker and a gardener, and she ran Bible studies and prayer meetings at our home. Um, she also was a deacon of our church in Fullerton, California, where Chuck Swindoll was our pastor. My father, he was an engineer, and he also uh, led men's groups. He was the chairman of the board and the elder of our church as well. We had lots of church events at our house. We had hobo parties, we had luau's, we had pool parties, you name it, we had it at our house. Uh, I remember growing up with godly people all around me who genuinely loved the Lord. I knew the Bible, I knew God's word, I knew that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, but I also knew that even though I was surrounded by godly people and I had the knowledge of God's word, that was not enough for me to be able to go to heaven. One Sunday after church, before we headed home, mom decided she needed to pick up a few items at the grocery store. I was so hungry and thirsty after being at church for hours, I didn't want to wait until we got home to get something to eat. I was only seven years old and I decided to take it upon myself to steal a pack of gum so that I could satisfy my thirst. No one saw me take the gum, and I was happy at first that I got away with it. But later, when I got home, I was feeling guilty for what I had done. I knew it was wrong, and I needed to confess what I did. Um, I started to cry for fear of my dad's belt as I went to my mom and dad and told them what I had done. It was a perfect opportunity for my mom and dad to show grace and love toward me because they could clearly tell that I was very sorry for what I had done and I was uh, admitting my guilt. So they sat down with me and they reminded me that Jesus Christ died on the cross for not just the sin of stealing that gum, but for all the sins that I've done in my life or will do in my life. He is the only one who could pay the price for my sins and give me eternal life with him. So I decided at that moment that I would ask Jesus to come into my life and forgive me for all my sins. Sitting on the living room couch with my mom and dad, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. 
Well, we still had to address the fact that I had stolen the pack of gum. My parents made me go back to the store and confess and apologize and pay for the gum. I had learned my lesson, and I never wanted to feel guilty like that again. That started my strong desire to follow Jesus. I went through eighth grade Bible instruction class where I memorized scripture, and I learned the foundation of my beliefs in God. I wanted to serve him wholeheartedly. In high school, I got baptized, and I rededicated myself to the Lord. I told myself that I wanted to live in the world but not be of the world. I wanted to be a light in this world to all those around me. I witnessed to my friends at school and saw the Holy Spirit bring several of my girlfriends to Christ. I went on mission trips to Mexico. I learned the importance of tithing, giving back to the Lord, because he had given me everything, and it was my way of showing my gratitude and love for him, as well as an act of obedience. I have learned to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. He has been my all in all and has guided me throughout my life through life-threatening situations as well as joyful ones. I owe him everything. I'd like to close with Psalm 119, 33 through 40. It's my daily prayer, and it's a desire of my heart. It says, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Thank you. It's a great testimony of someone that was raised in the church but still recognized, like all of us, that you had to come to that moment of saving faith in Jesus to decide to follow him. Appreciate that, Cheryl. You have a bulletin out there. Let me share a few announcements with you this morning. I have a couple of folks that are going to share in that with me. If you didn't get, uh, and I'm going to pull this out, Doc. Didn't get that bulletin, raise your hand, and I think our guys back there will bring one to you. Somebody over here needs one. In that uh, bulletin, if you've got a connection card, that's a great way to communicate information to us. On the backside, prayer request. Your pastors and others pray over those requests every uh, week. So uh, take advantage of that. Put it in the offering plate as it comes around in just a few minutes. NAS 101, third offering is today over lunch. Lunch provided, about a two-hour class that Richard and Barbara Sundermeyer, as they stand, want you to see them. They say you could still come to that today, even if you didn't register. We had some folks register, but slip on down the hallway to the chapel, get a good lunch, and find out what the Church of the Nazarene is all about. What's next Sunday? Anybody know? Super Bowl Sunday. Lynn and uh, Dick Gronk are going to come. Notice in your bulletin, we've got a big old Super Bowl party next Sunday night. Check out all the details of that. Notice we're calling it a Super Bowl, S-O-U-P-er, bowl party. That's for two reasons. Here's reason number one. Soup has something to do with the evening, right? Well, I have to say that when I first read it, I thought, 
Wait, super, S-U-P-E-R. We misspelled it, but we didn't, did we? No, that uh-huh. would take all the fun out of it I if we it. spelled it right. <laughs> no, so if you can bring a soup or chili, then we will vote on the best one. Now, the problem with that is unless you taste every single one, you really might not, or rather shouldn't vote. If anyone would like to literally be judge, that means a spoonful taste from every single item entered, then you can see us. Otherwise, okay, we can vote in general, but we ask you to bring the soup or chili if you can. Otherwise, you follow the lettering alphabet on what to bring. And I think it's going to be a fun time. And we can all join in and socialize, but get to know each other better, too, and enjoy our time together. So if you have any questions or anything or you want to help us, just let us know. Thank you, guys. Big hand for Lyndon Dick Roth right there. And, okay, yes? Um, there is a prize to the winner. Ooh. Okay, there you have it. She's not telling what the prize is. I know it's not $9 bills because I already gave those away. And soup has something to do with the morning that morning as well. Bring canned soup as much as you want. And out in the lobby will be two boxes, one for the Chiefs and one for the Eagles. And you put your canned soups in one box or the other, whichever team you're rooting for, and we'll see who wins that little contest before the big game. I personally am from the east, two hours south and west of Philadelphia. I am rooting for the Eagles. I figured I'd get that response. Okay, and I'm buying a lot of cans of soup because I'm thinking I'm the only one putting them in that box next Sunday. But anyway, all that soup will go to a community food bank there in Woodland Park, and that'll be a good thing. Scott Myers coming up. He's got a pastoral search update for us this morning, and then we'll be receiving our morning tithes and offerings. Well, good morning, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. How are we doing? Good. Who is going to win the Super Bowl? That, that was pretty weak. I mean, I, it sounds like you don't even believe it, Larry. <laughs> it ought to be fun. So as Ben, as ben said, we, uh, we have a pastoral search announcement. We did that, we did that just last week, and we, we told you that we had a meeting set up for Monday where we were going to uh, have an interview with a candidate. And we had a discussion afterward, and we are, I would say proud, but that's not the right thing to say in church. We're happy to announce that we had a unanimous decision to have you consider the candidate that we were looking at on Monday night. And that comes with a little bit of a schedule. I think it's probably already in front of you. So to, uh, this, coming, this coming Sunday, not today, but a week from today, we would ask everyone to stay after 
after service and have a meeting where we'll have the board up here on the stage and you can assault us with any question you like. In fact, you can pick who you want to answer that question if you like. We'd like to have a frank and honest discussion about, about the candidate and, and the reasoning behind our choice. Uh, I, th I think we're, we're convinced that we have, we have a solid candidate uh, to, to look at, and we want you involved with that. But on the following Sunday, the 19th, oh, we won't interfere with the Super Bowl, just, just so everybody's comfortable. Uh, but on the 19th, we would expect to have a vote for or against that candidate that we are offering. So I thank you all for all of the prayer and joining us in prayer in the last four weeks of January. We saw some answers coming fast and furious. Um, to remind you once more about the, the, the methodology used in the Naz Nazarene Church, when we look at a candidate, we are only looking at one candidate. We're not comparing them one against the other. We're not going to have a vote where you have multiple choices, uh, but rather when we begin to consider a candidate, we are going to take that candidate as far as that, as that um, process allows. And there have been candidates that, that have, have decided to withdraw their names. We have had other candidates that we, we put to the side but when we consider one candidate, we take that candidate as far as we believe the Lord is leading us. Uh, and that has led us to this point where we would expect to have that discussion next, next Sunday. And the following Sunday, we would expect to have a vote. Is that good news? Well, that's all I got. Scott, just keep that slide up there. Just a note that the 19th, you'll get to meet the candidate. We won't vote on the candidate until March 5th. So the Church of the Nazarene will give two weeks' notice for a church meeting, and that vote will happen. Two weeks after you get a chance to meet the candidate, that gives us all time to uh, pray, think, talk to each other, and uh, ask our questions, and we're looking forward to all that. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate, again, the church board that... Uh, Kelly and I are privileged to work with. They're doing a great, great job. You did well in electing them. We're going to receive the morning tithes and offerings now and then get back to uh, worshiping uh, the God who is with us, loves us, he's for us. Praise be to his name. Thanks to him for all he's given us and provided for us over all the years. Amen. May the Lord bless you as you give. together as we continue to worship this morning.
we're going to do the new song that we taught you guys last week. And as we sit here in the Lord's presence, it's just amazing to see how he, how holy he is. And just his name alone carries so much. And uh, it's just amazing to know our Jesus.
Oh 
Praise be to your name, Father. Father, I pray right now that the sense we have of your Spirit's presence with us would change us. And I pray that your same Spirit and that sense of your presence would be with people we love right now wherever they are. I'm thinking of some folks that I love that have drifted, that aren't gathered with your church this morning, and I pray that you make yourself known to them right now. We pray that right now our kids, our grandkids, friends, family members, neighbors, God, I pray that wherever they are right now that you would be, make yourself known, that your truth and love would be so overwhelming that they would turn back to you, that, Lord, they would be drawn to you. Thank you that there is no place on this earth that we can go, but that you're not there. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we hide from your presence? If we go to the heights, you're there. If we go to the depths, you're there. If we go to the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide us. Your presence will be with us, Father. And I pray that you'd stir in on all of us today the desire to speak Jesus, to show Christ to those that we share life with and that we encounter each and every day. Father, we thank you for the truth of the songs that we've sung today. We thank you for that larger story that we're a part of. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel of Christ. Lord, help us to live into that. Help us to, to recognize that we're a part of that, that we're right in the story, that the book of Acts continues, that we're your church, that we're the hope of the world as Christ lives in and through us, Father. I pray that today you'd encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, and brighten our hope. I believe you're doing that even now. And God, I pray that you'd meet each one here and uh, wherever the church might be today uh, at the point of their need. Bring healing and hope and help where it's needed. Oh, God, today, even in these moments we have here. Now, Father, I pray that you'd open our ears to your word, accomplish your purpose for this time we have together. Thank you, God. We give you our praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to say you could be seated if you'd want to. Man, I'll tell you what, I could just stay standing the whole time today. Good to be together with this church, amen, and in the presence of God. I have to say that last week's service was one of the best I've been in in years. The Apostle Paul said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I'd say again this uh, Sunday as we set our minds on things above last week, we don't do that enough. 
I've got a message in mind. After the wedding supper of the Lamb, I think you get a tour of the holy city. Revelation 21 and 22. Lord willing, I'd like to preach that message before we get out of here. The Lord is good, amen? you want to turn in your Bible somewhere, I'll be a number of places, but uh, Malachi chapter 3 would be a good place to uh, open to, and I'll get to that passage in just a few minutes. You might expect from the little kids' message on the platform what I'm preaching about today. It was what I had planned to preach last week, and I believe God has given me the green light for this Sunday. A couple of... Uh, uh, couple of uh, church signs I saw recently, and in uh, light of your pastoral search around here, I thought you ought to pick a pastor that you don't have to put this kind of sign up for. So those were good. I'd read them, but I'm, uh, my eyes are a little blurry from crying. I can't see the words. I'm hoping I can read my notes. Anyway, and I've got a few grandkids to show off before we uh, preach this morning. Uh, there is uh, Larry and Jane King's uh, little granddaughter, Myra, and her dog, Blitzen. Isn't she a doll? And there is Bev and Greg Lentz's grandkids. They look like uh, they're beautiful children. Anyway. Thank God for grandkids and for grandparents. Okay. Need to be able to see my notes. Once upon a time, there was a man and a woman, and they got married and they had kids. Two beautiful girls. They love those girls so much. They rocked them to sleep at night. Made sure they were well fed and cared for, kept safe protected, provided a good home. That mom and dad wanted those girls to be happy and good and to grow up to be all that they were meant to be. And so they taught them all they needed to know about life. They taught them to know the difference between right and wrong, how to make wise decisions. They showed them what was good and true. Mom and dad had some rules. Things those girls shouldn't do and things those girls should do. Mom and dad expected them to be obedient, to do what they were told. They had chores and were taught responsibility, all for their good and the good of the lives that their lives would ultimately touch. Also, their life could be the very best it could be all because that mom and dad who brought those girls into the world loved them so much. Would any of us here or anyone anywhere in the world think the expectations of that mom and dad were unreasonable? Wouldn't we all say, that was a good plan. Well, that's a true story, you know. That's our story, Kelly and I's. Once upon a time, there was a God, the only God there is. 
And in the beginning of time, he created the heavens and the earth, and he made man. And he breathed into that man the breath of life. And from that man, he made woman. And he loved them so much. You know where that story is going, don't you? And that true story is really the starting point for everything we could talk about regarding the life God wants us to live and the people that God wants us to be. The reality that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24. That life is a gift from God, that we're only here ultimately because of Him. That He loves us so much and wants us to make the very best of this life. That's the fundamental truth for the rest of the story and for the message that I have for you today. Here it is. Tithing, money, and the stewardship of life. You can tell from that title that I'll go from a particular subject to one of the sweeping themes of Scripture. And as I worked on this message this week, I, I had to laugh out loud a little bit because as I looked back over my preaching ministry of 37 years, I thought of the two messages where it got the quietest in the sanctuary. Messages on hell and tithing. <laughs> and it's no wonder. Do you know that the Gallup uh, poll says that in these United States, 3 to 5% of Christians actually tithe? That the average Christian in these United States spends three to four times more on recreation and entertainment than they do on charitable causes. No wonder it gets quiet in sanctuaries when pastors preach about tithing. Well, I'm going to do that this morning. Here we go. That first slide, please, Lisa. The tithe is the first tenth of whatever the Lord has allowed us to make, to have, given back to Him. For millennia, thousands of years, it came in the form of crops, flocks, or herds, the first of those. You can see that passage in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 to 32. I have heard stories over the years from pastors that uh, pastored in rural areas and they did get some uh, tithe of the flocks or eggs or produce, but most of the time it's income. For us, it's income. The classic text for a message on tithing is Malachi 3.10, and perhaps you have your Bibles open to that passage. Let's read that together. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Malachi 3.10. Note the promise. If you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven, and you'll not be able to contain the blessing. And note the challenge. As far as I know, the only time in Scripture that God says this, He says, test me. Do it and see if it's not true. Come on now. Most pastors will just take that tenth verse and pull it out and preach a message like I'm preaching today, but we really ought to look at the larger context in Malachi chapter 3. Quite a conversation between God and His people. Leading up to that reminder in verse 10 regarding the tithe, if you go back to verse 7, here's what it says. 
Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. Note the restored relationship that God is wanting there. And really, everything flows from that, not only from the people of Israel then, but for his people today. Restored relationship. Relationship is at the heart of Christian faith. That's where everything happens. But you ask, you continues, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal world, man, rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Wow, that's serious stuff. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the positive side, and this is true of all, The commands of God, when we live by them, we not only reap the blessings and the benefits of those ourselves, but when other people see, and in this case the whole tithe uh, being brought and then the floodgates of heaven open and the blessings pouring out, verse 12, and I don't have this on the slide, I'll read it for you, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Both your obedience and the blessing that comes from that will be a witness to those that don't yet know Christ as Savior, that don't yet believe. Although Malachi 3.10 is the classic text for us pastors when we preach on tithing, it's not an isolated verse. It's not a one-time thing. The command to bring the tithe was a part of the law of God that he gave to his covenant people, Israel, under Moses' leadership after the Passover, after the Exodus, after that a divine deliverance from the land of slavery after all that God had done for them. It was a part of the practice of his people and the commands of God through the centuries, literally thousands of years. What was its purpose? The tithe and other offerings supported the ministry of the priest and the temple. There you see Numbers 18, 21, and 24. Those tithes went to the Levites, to the priests, to the ministry of the temple, that uh, central place of worship and sacrifice. What was the purpose of the tithe? Go on to Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 12 and 13. It provided relief for the widows, orphans, and aliens. You see that there in that passage, the law of Moses. And actually, next slide, the tithe was enjoyed by God's people themselves, kind of like what we enjoy around here in this facility that your tithes and offerings has built, in the preaching ministry, the pastoral ministry of your staff, and the things that we enjoy in uh, small groups and in potlucks and all the rest. Moving on, some folks will say, well, pastor, that was an Old Testament thing. We're not under the law anymore. I've heard that a few times. First of all, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. If anything, we're probably expected to give a bit more in these New Testament times. In Matthew 23, Jesus is uh, really reaming out the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. I mean, he's not uh, holding back, but affirms the practice of tithing in the process. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus' words, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, 
justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Look what he says next. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse was the practice of God's people for 2,000 years. And tithing has continued to be the standard practice of God's people in his church through the centuries. Historically, the local church has been the storehouse. Kelly and I in our married life have always tithed to our local church and any support to other ministries or other causes or other needs has been above the tithe. So why tithe? Two big answers, really. First of all, because God has asked us to. And why wouldn't I be willing to give back uh, $1 to the God that has given me 10 I wonder what Seth is doing with those $9 bills right now. I actually meant to tell him he could do whatever he wanted with it. Maybe he's passing them out to the other kids. That would be a cool thing. Our tithing, our giving, our serving, our loving is always, first of all, and most importantly, a grateful response to what God has done for us. Why tithe? Secondly, because it provides the means by which we do life and ministry in and through his church, just like it did back in the days of the old covenant. And it does that on a consistent basis. And here's the beauty of it, because I give the first tenth of everything I make as I make it. It's a great plan. How many of you still draw a paycheck? Raise your hand. A few people still working out there. Yep. How would it go if you never quite knew when that check was coming? That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? Hard to plan. Hard to budget. Some of you are drawing Social Security. I won't ask for hands there. How would it be with you if uh, that Social Security check came whenever it came or not at all? That'd be tough. The tithe and offerings above the tithe provide support literally in the church for all we do. We don't apply for government grants. Uh, we Nazarenes and many churches like us don't even have bingo nights or sell raffle tickets or anything like that. Once in a while we might have a little fundraiser for a mission trip or for our teenagers and that's all good. But we rely solely on the tithes and offerings of God's people for everything we do. Cheryl's testimony included a commitment to tithing. I appreciated her filling it in, and a beautiful testimony it was, Cheryl. Kelly and I have always tithed, and God has always provided. I'm thinking back to when we were newly married. We landed in our first assignment in Gaithersburg, Maryland, uh, eight months married. All of our earthly possessions, including a big old doghouse that I made, was in the back of the smallest you haul truck you could uh, rent and still had room. We didn't have squat. And we began tithing to our local church, immediately began giving above that tithe to World Mission. We walked into a building program in that uh, first assignment, and we gave to the building fund. We sponsored two children, have for decades. We actually give to a lot of other good causes. We like to give every time an opportunity comes along. And I say all that to give glory to God, not to brag on ourselves, because We've discovered that what the old-timers, I remember hearing when I was growing up, uh, saying was true. You cannot outgive God. 
and we have been blessed and have had all our needs met. And I know many of you can testify to the very same thing. God's promises are true. Quick time out in the middle of this preaching, I'm going to talk a little church family stuff here, okay? On the front of your bulletin, you notice that we track our giving. And I want to make sure we understand what that is. Um, We have an income goal at the beginning of every year when we develop a budget. And I think that's a reasonable thing to do for a church. We want to be good stewards of what you're giving. And so at the beginning of each year, we establish an income goal. Here's what we believe we need to raise in tithes and offerings in order to meet our obligations and take care of our expenses. And this year, it was $380,000 over the course of a year. Our physical year begins May 1. And so if there's a difference of negative something or positive something, that's against the income goal. Uh, Fortunately, our expenses have come in lower than our uh, income. So that negative isn't in the hole literally in our cash flow. It's against that income goal. You may have noticed that the $40,000 deficit that we were looking at before Christmas kind of disappeared as we turned the corner into the new year, and it got down to about a $1,200 difference. I want you to know that that was because of a generous $45,000 gift over the holiday season. And I think probably in response to that deficit from someone, and I don't know who it was, who loves God and loves this church, we're grateful for that. And it's likely, yeah, thank you. That's worth applauding. And it's likely true in this church as it was in our church back home through the years that sometimes those above and beyond kinds of gifts are a part of God's provision for a church. I don't doubt that. But here's what I want us to hear. But if all God's people are not being faithful to tithe and give consistently, a church will be limited in its life and ministry and will deal with more uncertainty that it needs to do along the way. God calls us to be faithful to tithe. There's some keys to being faithful in bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse and giving generally. Three keys. Key number one, you've got to believe that God's promise is true and trust Him to provide for you. It takes faith to tithe. That's true with a lot of things. But it seems especially true with our money. Not tied up with our money. Security and it buys stuff and all the rest. John Wesley once said that uh, the last thing to be sanctified is our wallets. We can kind of hold on to that. That's key number one. Key number two in being faithful to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, you've got to learn to be content in any and every circumstance. That's Philippians chapter 4. Contentment is not a strong suit in the uh, American culture in which we live. Amen? Um, And it certainly isn't encouraged by everyone who's tried to sell you on their product. Bigger is better. More is necessary. Now, not later. The sooner, the better. And you deserve it. Come on now. Got to thinking about uh, 
the purchase Kelly and I made of a dining room set. First year of marriage, we had just gotten to Maryland. Uh, her brother lived down on the eastern shore. We were just north of, uh, of D.C., and uh, we bought a dining room set, big dining room table and two buffets for $150, loaded it up in a pickup truck and brought it up to Gaithersburg. No chairs. I think for the first year at least, we had to borrow extra blue padded chairs from down to the church to put her out. It was ugly too. It didn't match or anything. And then on a trip to Dayton, Ohio, my mom, uh, to visit my mom, she lived right next door to a, a Bob Evans. And one day out on a walk, we saw them uh, exchanging their old chairs for new ones. And they had a bunch of their old chairs piled up out back. And I asked them, are you selling those chairs? And they said, well, we really hadn't planned on it, but we would. How much for those chairs? $5 a chair. I'll take eight. And for $40, we bought eight chairs and put them in the back of our four tourist wagon, tied them on the top, and drove them back to Maryland. Do you know that 37 years later, we're still using that dining room table, two buffets of those eight Bob Evans chairs? $190, 37 years. But we couldn't have done that if we wouldn't be content with that. Third key in being faithful to bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, right along with being content, you've got to be willing to wait for things. Be patient and live within your means. We see something we want or think we need and we pull out the plastic, we swipe that card or put that chip in or take out that loan. My guess would be the debt is as significant a hindrance to our tithing and giving as anything. The average credit card debt in these United States 2022 is uh, between five and $6,000 per person. The average student loan debt uh, in these United States, same year, $35,000. Incredible. Kelly and I bought our first home at the age of 40. We had to wait, couldn't afford it until then. We have a manageable mortgage, which I think is, is A-OK, manageable mortgage. It doesn't hinder us from giving, uh, not at all. And uh, a loan taken out on something that really, in our case, appreciated in value by twofold at least. But we waited. How am I doing so far? A few biblical words about money. There's nothing inherently wrong with money or even with being rich. But Jesus did say that it was harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Devotion to Christ and his church is weakest. This is the reality. In the West and in developed countries for the most part around the world. I don't believe there's any greater hindrance to a vibrant faith than affluence. And there's plenty of evidence for that. Relatively speaking, most of us here in these United States are rich. Money isn't inherently evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's the passage where that comes from, 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment, there's that word, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Parenthetically, I think it's okay to want to get rich if what you want to do with those riches is alleviate need and be generous with others and support good causes. I'd like to have tons more money to be able to do that kind of thing. But if that's just your end game, is to get rich and to enjoy it yourself, that's a dangerous route. For the love of money, verse 10, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I don't know of a biblical truth that has more evidence in this world than the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. From price gouging to human trafficking, drug dealers to dictators. The love of money is behind so much of the world's wrongs. Money isn't inherently evil, but you can't keep it all to yourself. You've got to be generous with that and with your material possessions. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul's words to that church. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Back to John Wesley, I like what he said. Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Kelly's pastor back home, and I'm thinking, you wished I was doing this right now. One of the most memorable messages that pastor ever preached was when he got up into the pulpit, he opened his Bible, and he turned to uh, one of the Gospels, and he said, in Jesus' words, you cannot serve God and money. And he closed his Bible and walked off the platform. People were stunned. But they've never forgotten that message. <laughs> Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seems as if the more you have, the more likely you are to worry, to stress, to get all wrapped up in stuff. Stuff can own you. That's the danger of it. Sometimes it seems the more a person has, the less likely they are to give strange back home we partnered with our churches and ministries in Honduras the second poorest country in the western hemisphere Haiti's number one uh, there at home we lived in the seventh richest county in the United States generally there were three or four counties around the DC area and you could guess why who made the top ten most rich counties in the country list and Montgomery County was and it always struck me, the contrast was always striking. In general, we found Hondurans were more generous and happier than us rich Montgomery County folks. Be on guard against the love of money and all that comes with it. Be careful to know the difference between what we really need and what we just want. Back to 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, I love that, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Back to tithing just for a moment. I've found it to be a consistent tempering of greed. I tithe every time I get a paycheck. A consistent reminder to give, to be 
generous, to be grateful. And I think you could apply, especially in light of that last passage, apply tithing to our time. 168 hours a week, you get eight hours of sleep, that's 111 or so waking hours. Tithe your time, 11 hours devoted to time of the word and prayer and gathering with God's people and serving others as a baseline for how we use that. Tithing, sharing with those who are in need, doing good. They're all examples of obedience to God's commands and good stewardship, which I've come to recognize, uh, stewardship that is, to be a major theme throughout Scripture. That's not just about money. That's just not a minor note. That's a major note. The role of managing, caring for, investing what belongs ultimately to someone else but has been entrusted to me. That's stewardship. And it's not just about money. It's about my talents, my time, my life experience, my wisdom, my body. I'm called to be a good and faithful steward of life because my life is a gift from God. And God wants to and can use everything about me to make a difference in this world and point others to him. Once upon a time. And in the end, for those who will believe and trust in God, they will all live happily ever after. Until then, God wants us to enjoy and make the most of the short life we have to live here on earth, to be good stewards of life, to give and to serve, to sow seeds, to do good, to love. And all of that really, as I think about it, is the fruit of that first and greatest offering God calls any of us to make. It's amazing how much comes down to this. Romans chapter 12, therefore brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this great love, all that he's done for you, the fact that you're only here because of him, offer yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't feel the need to keep up with the Joneses, to have everything everybody else has, to, to run after all that stuff be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is, is good and pleasing and perfect will. And that's not only going to be good for you and open the door to God's blessings for you. That'll spill out into the lives of those your life touches. Praise be to his name. You've been very patient. It's getting late. I'd like us to stand together. And I think I'd like us to just pause and pray. Father, it has been sweet to be here today. We want to just say one more time, 
that we're grateful. privilege, the opportunity to be here, to be alive. We pause long enough right now to acknowledge you and to recognize that we're only here because of you and your mercy and grace. Thank you for life. Thank you for new life in Christ. Thank you for the price that was paid for that life. God, search our hearts. You know us. Give us the desire and the ability to act and to will according to your good pleasure. And together, we pray that you would meet every need in this church today and in the days ahead according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus as we trust you and are obedient to you in every way. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Larry is coming forward. Come on, Larry. You're going to remember what I forgot? Yep. Yellow mic here for uh, Larry, will you, Doc? Thank you, Larry, for doing that so much. Second message. You can sit down for just a second. I'm not really going there. <laughs> Should I be worried? I, have, I need to make an announcement because Pastor, old enough, he forgot. <laughs> We're having a... a uh, Prime Timers meeting next Saturday. Prime Timers, you have to be 55. I'm sorry, Andrew. Can't make it. Um, He's not sorry either. This is a special one because it's just before Valentine's Day, and we're going to meet in the chapel area. And Jane said we were supposed to have desserts. She, she misprinted that. She meant pie. Pie would be appropriate, but you could bring your favorite dessert, and we'll have some ice cream to put on it. Anyway, anyway at 2 o'clock in the chapel area on Saturday, I think I'm done. Thank you. I'm Remember, gonna have, oh, I'm sorry. pie is always a good option. <laughs> I should have never let him come over to tell him. Okay, I'm going to have the parents of kids that have kids in the back. Why don't you stand first and uh, hustle back there and get your kids for those uh, good kids workers that have gone uh, a little overtime. And we love you parents and appreciate all you're doing to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Larry, you're coming back? Yeah, Angie, you can leave, buddy. Wedding pictures. That's right.
That's right, Art. Very good. Okay, is that it now for sure, Larry? Got that? And don't forget the pies. Okay, everybody stand up. Have a great day in the Lord.